Well, good morning, Journey. How's everybody doing today? Good. It's good to see you guys here. I want to welcome those who are watching online and also those who are watching in our outside venue. So glad you were able to join us in whatever means you're able to be with us here today. My name is Mike Evans. I serve as the family pastor here at JCI, which basically means that I get to serve alongside the best staff, the best interns, the best adult volunteers, the best students, and yep, the best children Ever. It's a blessing to be a part of the team here at JCI, and I'm so excited to get to share from God's Word in my heart here today. We are in week six of our series, Summer in the Psalms, and uh, today we are going to be in Psalm 34. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 34 on your phone or in an actual Bible, that'd be awesome. And, uh, but before we get to Psalm 34, I'd love to share with you guys a couple of highlights of things that have been going on the past week. Uh, this past Monday, once again, we did our food and produce distribution, uh, fruits and produce and vegetables and all kinds of things. We delivered over, or actually people came and got over 4,000 pounds of vegetables and fruit this week for families in need. So that's awesome. And then also, and this is way fun, you guys were incredible. We, um, you guys delivered over 2,000 individual school supplies to our church. You should have seen this place on Wednesday afternoon between the backpacks and the markers and the pencils and all the different things. This place was full of school supplies for kids in need in our districts. And I think that deserves a round of applause. So thank you so much, Journey, for your generosity in that. Awesome. You can still, you can still give this week if you um, weren't able to last week. This week, our project of the week in our summer of serving is with Nourish KC that serves 400 meals a day uh, to uh, homeless folks in the inner city of Kansas City. Who, and, uh, but um, that is a full project. All our spots have been taken up for that. But I have a great opportunity that I wanted to share with you guys about that's going to happen next Saturday, August the 1st. Um, we are partnering with a ministry next Saturday called Sleep in Heavenly Peace. And what Sleep in Heavenly Peace does is they deliver beds to kids in Kansas City. Did you know that nearly 5,000 kids in our metro area will go to bed tonight without a bed to sleep in? And this ministry, it's a great ministry, they have, and we, we want to partner with them next Saturday, delivering and assembling, which I've heard, I've been told that it's simple to assemble these beds, um, but, but if you'd like to be a part of that next Saturday, um, it's an, uh, it's, it's at 8 a, it starts at 8 a.m., um, would love you to do a part of that. All you need to do is text JOURNEYSERVE to 474747 to find out all you need to know about that. So I want to start this morning with a question, and maybe in the form of a riddle, and that's this. I'm going to throw a picture up here on the screen. I'm going to ask you question. What do Albert Einstein, uh, Adam Levine, singer of Maroon 5, uh, soccer star Cristiano Ronaldo, basketball star LeBron James, tennis star Maria Sharapova, and the dread pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride, and, and believe it or not, our own Pastor Ryan Holt have in common? What do they all have in common? Well, the answer to that question has everything to do with our message today, and that is this, that they are all ambidextrous, which means they can throw with their right, they can throw with their left with equal strength. They can kick a ball with their foot they, uh, with their right or their left with equal strength. They can be in a sword fight with their right or their left hand and uh, with equal ability and strength. And you say, Mike, what does that have to do with your message here today? Well, it has everything to do with it. And, and here's, here's, what it, here's what it has to do with it. Here's the actual point. The, the bottom line of where we're going in this message today through our study of Psalm 34 is this, that God desires to help us to learn what it means to live with an ambidextrous 
faith. What does that mean, you ask? Well, I'll get to that in just a second. Before I get to that, though, I want to share with you our two goals for, the, for today's time of study. Number one, we're going to learn together how God rescued David from an awful decision, actually a couple of awful decisions. So if you're here today or you're watching online and you're one of those folks who've made awful decisions in your life and maybe you compounded it with more awful decisions and more I'm glad you're here today because I think today is going to help you. The second goal of today's message is to help you to live out David's call to live what we call an ambidextrous faith. What is an ambidextrous faith? Well, let's take a look at that real quick. An ambidextrous faith does this. It welcomes the blessings of life with one hand. You know, you guys all look well-fed, and if you didn't have breakfast this morning, it's probably because you skipped breakfast this morning, if you know what I'm saying. You know, you're well, you're, you all look good, um, even behind those masks. You all look good. Those of you online, I'm sure you look good too. We have all been blessed so much. So we welcome the blessings of life in one hand, but we also welcome the difficulties of life with the other hand, convinced that both would serve God's purpose in our lives. Blessings and trials, and affliction, and difficulties. Those work together to serve God's purpose in our life. Sometimes life, as you know, as I know, is filled with more blessings than trials, and sometimes life is really heavy, right, and filled with way more trials than blessings. But in the big picture today, what we're gonna do is we're gonna let David help us to understand how they work together to serve God's purpose for our lives. So but before we get into God's word together, I'd like us to do what we do every Sunday morning when we open God's word, and that's to just take a moment and take a breath and pray. So if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me and just maybe take a deep breath. As PC says, some, for some of us, that's the first time we've taken a deep breath all weekend long. And Lord, we just ask you to speak to us. We ask you to show us how Life holding your blessings in one hand and the challenges and difficulties in another. How to trust you to accomplish your purposes in and through our lives, through both, so that we can live an ambidextrous faith. It's a big prayer we're praying today. It's a big ask we're asking of you. So we, we just ask you, God, to show us Jesus through this time of study together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And amen. So let's look at Psalm chapter 34 and see how David lives out what we're calling an ambidextrous faith. But to understand what's going on in Psalm 34, we have to kind of look back in the story of what led David to write this psalm. You're gonna, you see there in your Bible, you see Psalm 34, and then, and then the text starts in between there. There's a little sentence, isn't there? And it says there, um, a psalm um, of David, because he wrote it, uh, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. Just a little fun fact for you guys, Abimelech is actually not the name of the king, that's the title of the king. So it's like saying in front of Pharaoh in Egypt, you know, or the king of England, it's, it's the Abimelech, it's the king of the Philistine land. And so um, the actual name of the king was Achish. And we're gonna see what Psalm 34 is all about by looking at the backstory a few books back in 1 Samuel chapter 21. So in this season of, of history, um, David is a beloved um, Israelite right now, and Saul is the king. And the people kind of, um, they tolerate Saul, but they love David. And Saul is super jealous of David. In fact, Saul is chasing David down and he wants to kill him. He wants to knock David off the face of the earth so that because he knows that the people want David to be king and Saul wants to stay king. And, and sometimes when we're on the run and trying to get away from a 
tough situation, we do foolish things. And David in this scene does a foolish thing. He leaves Israel and he goes to the land of the Philistines who are the sworn enemy of the people of Israel, right? So you remember David and Goliath? Goliath was the giant of the Philistines who David had killed. And so he goes into their land. It's not gonna go well for David there. In fact, David comes before the king and let's learn together how God rescued David from not only one, but a number of awful decisions there in verse 10 of chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. It says this, it says, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish, the king, said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? He wasn't the king of the land, but that's what they said. Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David his 10,000s. Now what happens here, you guys, is David realizes that he's in big trouble, <laughs> that he's been exposed. He's, he's got nowhere safe to go in Israel. And now he realizes, he's, realizes he has nowhere safe to go in the land of the Philistines. He has been exposed. And in verse 12, it says this, that David took these words to heart. He was listening and it was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. He, and he hits on a plan coming up here in verse 13. And it's not a very good plan. In fact, it's kind of a ridiculous plan, but God in his grace rescued David from his own ridiculous plan. Let's see what happens. It says, so he, David, pretended to be insane in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate. Imagine that, marking, making marks on the door. How, much, how hard do you have to mark to make marks on a gate? And letting saliva run down his beard. He literally decides to act like a madman. He does something that's ridiculous. The David who had slain Goliath, the David who already knew that one day he would be the king, the David who time and time again had seen God work in his life, thinks it's a good idea not only to leave the land where he belongs, but also to act like a madman in front of the king and his servants. And see what happens next. Achish, the king, said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen? Imagine that, a collection of madmen. That's kind of fun, huh? Imagine, am I so short of madmen? I mean, if you've ever led anything, sometimes you think the people that are underneath, they're all just crazy, right? That's kind of what I think he's thinking here. Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come into my house? You ever made a dumb decision and then double down on it with another dumb decision? only to be rescued from it because God is a gracious and faithful God. I've been there. Um, I'd like to share with you one story where I actually got to kind of be a rescuer. Um, if you're a student here today or watching online, then, um, then you'll, this story will sound familiar to you because I shared it a couple weeks ago um, in student ministry. But hey, guys, I've only got one life, so I only have a limited amount of stories to share. They're personal. So here's, here it is. So when my son Andy was four years old, he's, Andy's in his 20s now, uh, but when I, my, uh, my oldest son, Andy, was, tw uh, was four, he asked if he could go um, 
see our neighbor girl, Leanna, who was the same age as him, go see her puppy. They had just gotten a puppy, and so he wanted to go meet the puppy. And this is where I li- this is where we lived, and this is where Leanna lived, if you can see at the end of that cul-de-sac right there. So it was just a few houses down. He'd gone over to their house lots of times. It wasn't a big deal to go over there. So I said, sure. It was about four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, and we said, okay. I said, sure, go ahead. So Andy went over to Leanna's house, and about an hour and a half later, I went, by, went, went over there to collect him, to bring him home for dinner, and all of that, and uh, knock on the door. Leanna's mom opens the door, and I say, hi, um, Andy can come on home now. And she kind of looked at me, and she said those words that, as a parent, you do not want to hear. She said, uh, well, Andy's not here. And I said, well, is Leanna here? And she's like, no, Leanna's not here. And I thought to myself, uh-oh. And I asked one more question. I said, is the puppy here? And she said, I don't think the puppy's here either. I was like, were you asleep? Where were you, mother? Watch your children. Anyway, I watched that child. Anyway, um, so we kind of walk outside and we go to a couple other neighbor's houses wondering if maybe they'd gone over there to show the puppy to another neighbor and knock on a door and open the door. No, they're not there. No, they're not there. I start going, Andy, Andy. And there's no response. We look in the field behind the house, right? There, no response. We can't see him anywhere. Andy, Andy, and we get louder and louder. So what's happening now is neighbors are starting to realize that something's wrong and they all come outside and they kind of join the quest, if you know what I mean, looking for these two kids and the little puppy and we can't find them anywhere. Well, my wife calls 911 and uh, I, I am kind of beside myself. It's getting close to dark. It's like 5.45, 5.50 now. And in California, where I used to live, it gets dark early there. And so um, it was getting like close to dusk. And so I'm having all the thoughts, if you know what I'm saying, if you're a parent, right? And so um, I say, Lord Jesus, help me to know where these kids are. And I thought to myself, if I was them, where would I go? And I thought about hundreds and hundreds of times we, had, we, go, we used to go on walks together with them all the time, and we would always go to, the, go to the park. And I thought, surely not. Surely Andy didn't walk out of our cul-de-sac and then go down this street to the end of the street and then go down this one and then go all the way down this street and then down this one and not turn into the cemetery there, but turn this way and go all the way to Mountain View Park. Surely he didn't go all the way to Mountain View Park. How many of you know surely he did walk almost two miles with his little friend and her puppy to Mountain View Park? I get there. The, the helicopter is already in the air. The Amber Alert is coming. And I get to the park, and there's no one at the park that I can see, except I see a couple little figures underneath a tree over by the playground, and I realize it's Andy. And I run over to him, and when I got about 10 feet away from him, he saw me, and there were two expressions or two reactions he gave. The first one was, hey, Dad. And then it was the, <gasps> because he saw my face. And when I picked him up, um, then was when he got spooked. Then was when he began to cry. And here's why. He began to cry because he didn't realize how lost he even was until he was found. He didn't know how lost he was until he saw his father's eyes. Journey, let me say it this way. Some of you this morning have wandered off from your first love. You've wandered off from the Jesus who loves you so much and wants a relationship with you like crazy. And maybe this morning is a time where your heavenly father in his grace and in his tender mercy in a way that only he can is gonna get in your face a little bit and he's gonna go, I'm right 
Let me say it this way. There are people in our lives, and maybe you're one of those people today, whether you're here today or you're watching online, there are people in our lives who don't realize how lost they are until they come face to face with Jesus. That's the bottom line. That's the bottom line, you guys, of Psalm chapter 34, that God is in the rescue business. David realizes that it was God who rescued him. And in, in, his, in his joy over being rescued, he's in now in the Judean hills. I picture him in a cave somewhere, just thinking about what has happened in his life, the foolishness that he demonstrated by leaving his homeland, the foolishness he demonstrated by acting like a madman before the king and his servants. And he sits in this cave and pens this, this poem to God that I think is unbelievable. There's really two parts to Psalm chapter 34. The first half of it, verses one through 10, are a kind of a reflection of praise to God. And then the second half of the chapter is really full of life instructions, almost reads more like Proverbs than it does the Psalm. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time is we're going to look at um, three rescue responses uh, from the first, uh, three rescue responses that David offers. And the first rescue response is a testimony of thankfulness. Remembering where David was and what he had just escaped, listen as David shares these words, he says, I will extol or praise the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. Ever had one of those, God, if you get me out of this, I'll always follow you? So did David. <laughs> I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David is going like this, you guys. That was close. Thank you, God, for your rescue. Thank you, God, that you saved me from my own foolishness. Thank you, God, that I'm still alive, that I'm still kicking, and I still have the opportunity to know you and to trust you and to live for you. That's what's happening in here. In his affliction, in the trials, in the, in the running from King Saul, who still wants him dead, I'm gonna rejoice. In fact, I'm not just gonna rejoice, I'm gonna gather other people rejoice. The thought here is that God's gracious deliverance gave David a determination to praise God all the time. David said, hey man, if you could save me like that, I just wanna say thank you and I want my life to be a love letter back to you the rest of my life. That's David's heart. That's why we call him a man after God's own heart. Not that he did it all right. He didn't and neither do we. But when he got it wrong and he came face to face with God, he was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so wrong. Thank you, God for your deliverance. The key thought of this section is this, that when we understand the depths of what we have been saved from, the response is to worship God. And not just you worship God, not just you say, God, thank you, but to go, hey, all y'all around me, y'all need to worship God too because he is a rescuing God who saves. Amen? Amen. That's the truth that we're gonna keep digging into deeper now. Let's look at the second rescue response. That is this. It's a story of salvation. David kind of gets testimonial here in these next four verses in, um, in Psalm 34. He kind of shares his own story a little bit. He says this, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. What is David saying here? He is saying, praise God, because he saved my life. 
praise God because I was lost and I didn't find him. Catch this. David didn't find God. What happened? God found him. God found him in his foolishness, you guys. God said, hey, you keep going down the road you're going and you're gonna lead, your road is gonna lead to a path of destruction and death and a mess. And David in his gra- or God in his grace and his mercy reached down into David's heart and he saved him. Let's camp for a second on verse six. Where, Dave, where, where the psalmist writes this, he says, this poor man, talking autobiographically, David is here, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. I remember when Pastor Christian, a couple of months ago, asked me to preach uh, a sermon out of the Psalms. He said, you can pick a Psalm, and, uh, and you know, as long as it's not the same Psalm he's teaching, um, just any, any of them. And I immediately knew, Psalm 34. And the reason why, really, is this verse right here that you see. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of, his tr- out of all his troubles. And the reason why, you guys, is simply this because that's my story. This poor man called and the Lord heard him and he saved him from all his troubles. And if you're a father of Jesus today, guess what? That's your story too. These poor people called and the Lord heard us and he saved us out of all of our troubles. Listen, there's a lie and you've probably heard it before. Maybe you've believed it before. Maybe you're believing it right now that goes like this. I've got to clean my act up and then I can come to God. I've got to get my stuff together and then Jesus will forgive me. I've got to deal with some of my stuff in my life, my divorce, my broken relationships, my whatever, you fill in the blank. I've got to deal with all that and then I'll get back to church and then I'll get back to God. Can I just say that's a lie? We don't clean ourselves up and come to God. We come to God in our brokenness and say, God, clean me up. That's the gospel. That's this poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him from all his troubles. Pastor Christian shared this verse last week from Romans, Romans 5, verse 8. It says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Psalm 34, 6 is really the Romans 5, 8 of the Old Testament. And if you remove the kind of the trimmings, you know, kind of remove this beautiful building and the, and the couch or whatever it is you're sitting on while you're watching this, if you're watching online, just remove the, the fellowship and the community and the amazing worship we get, to, we get to have here. Just kind of step out of all the like blessings, right? Step out of all the good stuff. All of life comes down to this. God demonstrated, he showed us his own love toward us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. David said it this way, that this poor man called and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Guys, that's the best news in the world. That's the news that gets me out of bed in the morning, that Jesus loves me, that Jesus loves you, and there's a world that needs the hope that only comes through God and his son, Jesus Christ. Well, David didn't get it all right, and neither do we, but he got this one right. And I have a question for you now. How often do you consider where you would be without Jesus? Maybe you need to grab a journal or grab a, um, 
the back of your Bible, just wherever, grab a piece of paper and just say, just write at the top, where would I be without Jesus? And think about people in your life who don't have Jesus and then think about where you would be. It's a good exercise to do because it causes us to go, wow, thank you, God, for what you've done in my life. Where would you be if you tried to go it alone, if, if you rejected the life raft that Jesus offers you? From a cave where he recognizes that he probably should have died, David says, David sees himself as a poor man, a man who cannot save himself, who simply called, and as he called, the Lord saved him. The key thought here is quite simple, to call on God from your soul, and he will keep his promise to save you. But see, David isn't done celebrating his rescue from Achish. Oh, no, he's got one more to say. His rescue response, number three, it's an appeal to all. It's an appeal to everyone. What he does here is he says, hey, everybody, come here. Come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. I want to show you something. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Verse 8, blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. What's David saying here? He's saying, try God. Hey, he has saved my life and he can save yours too. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Take refuge in God. That's the bottom line of life. David trusted God and God delivered him. Actually, God delivered him before he even trusted him. Fun fact here, another fun fact. This, this Psalm 34 is actually an acrostic of the 22 Hebrew letters, 21 of the 22, and then one is in there twice. I don't know why. Um, but this, this, David wrote this Psalm in this way to help people memorize the chapter because they didn't have Bibles they carried around like we do back then. They had to memorize it so, that, so they could hide the word in their hearts that way. But I picture David looking out, maybe seeing a mountain lion which are plentiful in those days, and, and seeing that mountain lion going, you know what, those who seek the Lord, lions get weak, lions get hungry, but if you seek the Lord, you're not gonna lack. Blessings may be minimal sometimes, but God is always there with you and for you. Well, let's in the second half of this message take a few more minutes and uh, look at the second goal, to follow David's example to seek to live, what we're calling an ambidextrous faith, one that, one that lives in the tension of the blessings and the challenges of life. As I said, it reads a little bit like Proverbs here, and I, I picture David here saying, okay, I'm gonna give you some instruction on how to live a life that honors God, and I picture David, as he's writing this, kind of writing it with regret, going, I wish I would have done these things, because if I would have done these things that I'm about to tell the people, I probably wouldn't have been in the pickle that I was in. But David says it this way, starting in verse 11 there in, in Psalm 34. He says, come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. He's gonna teach from his experience. Sometimes we get, wisdom, we get wisdom one of two ways, you guys, right? By making mistakes and learning from them or by learning from other people's mistakes. In this context, David made mistakes and he learned from them. And so he's sharing them wisdom that God has given to him because he's learned from them. He says in verse 12, whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and, and pursue it. David is saying in verses one through 10, praise God. He is a rescuing God. He's a delivering God. He saved me in all of my troubles. See everyone that he is good. But if you really, really want to live a life, that honors God. Listen tight to what I have to say now. And David gives them three vital keys to represent God or to represent Jesus well. And the first one is this, to watch your mouth. He says, he says in this passage to, um, to, to keep your tongue from evil and your lips 
from telling lies. Question, are you watching your mouth? Are you watching your mouth? Is the, are, is the language that comes out of your mouth honoring to God? Is the language about other people that comes from your mouth honoring to God? Paul writes it this way in Psalm, or in Ephesians chapter four, verse 29, he says to, to the Ephesian church back in that day, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it might benefit those who listen. Paul is saying in this passage, is your talk honoring to God? The way you say things, the tone in which you use things, is it honoring to God? And I remember my talk has not always honored God. In fact, my talk from time to time, definitely still I struggle in this area. But I remember when I was a kid, and I remember there was one time, you guys, there was one time where I sassed my mama. My mom is watching right now online, so hi, mom. Um, and I, I sassed her, and she asked me to do something. I don't even remember what it was that she asked me to do. And I looked at her, and I said, no, and I told her what I thought. And she looked at me, and she said, boy, what did you say? And so like a fool, once again, I told her what I thought. Yeah, how many of you guys know this isn't gonna end well for me? So she takes me by the neck and she walks me into the bathroom and she picks up a bar of soap. How many of y'all know what's coming, right? A non-toxic bar of soap. My mom was not abusive, okay? I love you, mom. I would never, I would never say you were abusive to me. I deserve this. And she got her hands under that sink and she just lathered it up as good as she could, right? And I'm just sitting there and I know what's coming. I know, I'd heard the phrase, I'm gonna wash your mouth out with soap, but now I was about to experience what I'd heard about, right? It was about to become my reality. And she took that bar of soap and she went. And she left it there for a while. And it was nasty. But the next time I wanted to sass my mama, all she had to do was look towards the bathroom. How do you know that? Christian, are you watching your mouth? We have a value here at JCI. It's called, one of our values is becoming more like Jesus. With the words you say, and here's where I get in trouble, the tone in which you say them. My, my wife looks at me all the time, tone. I'm like, yeah, you're right. The words you say and the tone in which you say them, is it honoring to Jesus? David says, watch your mouth. Number two, do what's right. Do what's Right, turn from evil and do good. Be people of integrity. Live a life that, that if you're caught, if you're by yourself or with people, you're the same person. Be a person of integrity, that your walk matches your talk. And then number three, live peacefully with others. Not just in the way you talk, but in the what you post, in, what you, in the way you live your life. Seek to live at peace with other people. It's so easy, isn't it, to get involved in the drama, it's so easy to get involved in the gossip. It's so easy to take a side and then to defend that side like it's, you know, gospel truth. So easy to do that when really, you know what that does most of the time? It just divides people. It just creates division where God does not want division to be. You know, when it comes to social media, I know PC has talked, Pastor Christian, sorry, come PC. Um, Pastor Christian has talked a lot about social media over the past many weeks. The question I use when I'm thinking about if I'm gonna post this on Instagram, I'm gonna put this on Twitter, am I gonna put this on my Facebook page? It's really a simple four-word question. Does it honor Jesus? 
does it honor Jesus? I love the way he put it a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to say it again. Pray before you post. Pray before you post. David wraps up the psalm here by telling the people kind of how to experience God's blessing. He's talked about how awesome God is. He's given them some instructions about how to live. And now he says, let's experience it. Let's like see what it feels like. And he says this starting in verse 15. He says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. If you're here and you don't know if God hears your prayers, he hears you and he sees you. He hears you and he sees you. Verse 16, the face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. He takes sin super seriously, you guys. It cost him his son. That's how seriously God takes sin. Verse 17, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. That sounds a lot like verse six, doesn't it? The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Again, David emphasizes, you can't fix yourself. If your heart is broken, lay it before God and say, God, save me. God, help me. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. And here's the, I just call it the kicker. Just kind of, he just seals the deal with the second half of verse 22 when he says, no one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. And I remember as I thought about closing out this service, I, I finished up reading up this, reading the, reading the chapter and thinking about that last little phrase there. And it, it took me to a, a verse in the book of Romans. Romans chapter eight, verse one, one of the like pinnacle verses in all of the Bible where Paul writes to that church in Rome, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you know if you know Jesus, you are not condemned. Because through Christ Jesus, not through your own efforts, not through fixing yourself, but through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Psalm 34, 22 is the Romans 8, 1 of the Old Testament, if you will. God sees you in your trouble. God wants to rescue you from your situation. But he also wants to teach you how to have an ambidextrous faith. Thankful, so thankful for the blessings, but also living and leaning in to the affliction, leaning into the challenge, saying, God, what do you wanna teach me through this hardship, through this pain, through this trial that I'm enduring? Both of them working together to serve God's purpose for your life. The final thought I wanna give you is this, take refuge in Jesus and you will be set free from condemnation. And if this morning you are one of those people, whether you're in this room today or you're watching online, can I just say to you that if you would take refuge in Jesus, he will set you free. It's the, it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. He, set, he sets you free. He is in the business of rescue. It's what he specializes in. It's what he's best at. And if you're one of those here today who needs to come home to Jesus, my prayer is that you've seen him face to face through this message, not through my words, but through his, his work in your life. And that in, this, in the quietness of this moment and the safety of this place, whether you're here or watching online or outside, 
that in this moment you would give your heart to him or you would give your heart back to him. Will you join me in prayer as we close our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. But your hearts are open to what God wants to say and do in this moment. God, we know that the gospel is simply this, that if we would admit our need for salvation, admit our need for forgiveness and believe and confess, the Bible says in Romans 10 that if we confess our mouth with our mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Lord, I pray for any boy, any girl in this room or watching online, any man, any woman in this room watching online, Lord, that in the, just the peace of this moment, that your Holy Spirit would speak to them as you're knocking at the door of their heart and say, will you just open your eyes? Your heavenly Father's arms are open and they want to welcome you for the first time or they want to welcome you back home. Jesus, I pray that in this moment that you are, that there is a celebration in heaven as people are saying, Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. Lord, I pray that this week there's rejoicing on journals and with friends, not because of what was said here, but because of what you did here in people's hearts. Like you rescued King David, who became King David, you rescued us as well. You are a rescuing God, and we thank you for that. Father, I pray, I thank you for this church. I thank you for this gospel outpost, a place where your name is honored and glorified. Lord, I just thank you again for the good work that I know that you're doing and that I know that you will continue to do. Help us in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of all the craziness of the world that we live in right now to lean into the blessings and to lean into the difficulties so that you will serve your purpose in our lives. We love you, Jesus. You're the best. There's nothing like being part of your family, nothing like being part of your army of love, and nothing like being a part of this community. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.